0: Good morning and welcome to Generally Cultured. I'm
1: Robert. And I'm Josh. Today we are happy to be joined by Alvin Jackson. Do you go by Al or Alvin? Al. All right. Well, with this last week of Black History Month, we wanted to invite you to talk to us about um, race relations, right, in America. First off, I want to introduce um, Al. Just go by Al, right? Yes. So if you know, just a kind of disclaimer, um, Al Jackson is my bishop in my uh, young single adult ward. So it's kind of weird to call him Al, but we'll go with that today um, so Al Jackson currently serves as the CEO of Bevco Bevoco bivoco, a company focused on eliminating harassment in the workplace uh Bevoco empowers employees to share and share and safely resolve issues involving the workplace harassment um He also serves uh, as a volunteer- on a volunteer basis on the national faculty for the Na- uh, Thomas Jefferson Center for Constitutional Studies. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, he also serves as, the, as the, on the board as chairman of the Na- uh, the George Washington Museum of American History, and we'll get into that. Uh, he currently resides in Chevy Chase, Maryland, with his wife, Julene, and fi- uh, two of his five children. Um, so, welcome to the show. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate that. That was a... Smooth introduction, thank yeah,
2: you. Yeah, I, I, uh, it. I,
1: that was improv, you know, I'm getting better at it. <laughs> that was <but>. good. <laughs> um, so yeah, we wanted to have you on the show, uh, obviously there's, we have a ton to talk about, uh, okay. and uh, we, so just to kind of get some background, um, to everybody on this, so with Black History Month, we had a, what's called a family home evening, um, and it's a, it's a group, or we get together as, uh, young single adults and, and Al, uh, talked about um race relations and specifically the minority experience that you've had in your life and i was it was it was an eye-opener to me because i grew up in utah county utah and there you've talked about this there's almost no no diversity in there and so i didn't have that perspective and i realized that growing up i don't have that perspective in my life and i think a lot for maybe for our listeners um you might be in a similar situation where there's there's Constantly in the news, there's this battle of you know, what do we do? How we, obviously America is this this country that's trying to discover itself, rediscover itself in every generation, um, and 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 I I want to believe that that the majority of Americans want to have this this harmony and 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 kind of grow together. But yet there's there seems to be all these these little problems. Some of it political, some of it a little bit malicious. But I think mm-hmm. most of it um can be good intentioned. So we want to talk talk about that. Um also this year uh is the 400th anniversary of when uh Africans were brought as slaves to America. So it's very it, um it's very interesting to talk about this today after 400 years of uh um some absolutely horrible things that have happened in America. Um you know, how do we get how do we get past this? Yeah. And so, um, maybe I can kind of turn time over to you on maybe your opening statements on you know what what about race race relations in America? How can we? What should we think about it as as young Americans? What what can we do? Right. That's a that's a great question. This, I you
2: know I didn't realize until you said this that it is the 400th year anniversary because well the first settlers showed up in America in 1607 and then the first slave ship got here in 1619. It was a Dutch slave ship. Right. And the individuals that were here at the time didn't want them. They said, we are, they were looking for religious freedom. So they were religious people. They had the Bible. They understood the special relationship that we have as God's children. And they didn't believe in enslavement. But the king said, no, you're taking them. Hmm. And so slavery was forced upon them and grew, of course, and so that's what we and led up to the Civil War, and everybody knows that history. But, you know, I, I it was an interesting family home evening that we had. By the way, Josh has been really nice to black people since <laughs> that that family home evening because, he, you know, now he knows that we actually exist because there's none of them in Utah County. We actually lived in Utah County for six years. Yeah. And we were the only, probably the only black family in Utah actually celebrating Black History Month on a regular basis because they weren't doing it in the schools. Mm. Right. Not at all, and so with regard to race relations today, a lot of it, and I think you touched on it is is media driven. I, I think the media their mission is to be, is to be to create divisiveness and and we've allowed that through social media, Twitter and Instagram to exacerbate an issue that I think I think our country has moved really well in the right direction regarding race relations. I mean, my my kids feel safe in the world. I I've had no issues with it in, you know, personally in terms of my career. I mean, I've I've worked for companies like Boeing, uh, uh, Northwest Airlines, North of Grumman, and I haven't had many issues. I mean, it's just I've been promoted based on my my work ethic and my ability to produce and you know we my my son you know he plays basketball he plays for the new orleans pelicans and he has no issues with it my i have two girls that live in utah and they seem to be doing great because r- really wh- how we've tried to raise our kids is to be part of the solution not the problem and and not to look for issues uh, r- involving race or or play the race card what ha- you know. so that's that's kind of what i'd like to say first
0: yeah um So uh, as somebody that has always been in a similar situation as Josh, kind of in the majority culture, not really um, aware of uh, the kind of the minority experience. Um, But this is something that we're going through at my church. We're going through a racial reconciliation class to kind of address these things because um, a lot of people, you know, our generation didn't grow up in the, um, with, you know, the civil rights era or that being, you know, something that people remember. Like, my parents remember, like, the kind of um, tenderness of the country following civil rights movement. We don't really experience that. Um, but we tend to, uh, in, our, in our generation, we tend to be accused not of overt racism, but of um, colorblindness. That's now become kind of the new um, uh, uh, kind of tag that we get, we get. Uh,
2: that's interesting what do you mean by that colorblindness
0: so i think that for a lot of us we were raised reading you know our kind of experience with learning about black history was reading mlk's i have a dream speech right. right um now that's you know you that's a very very small part of a bigger picture but that's kind of what we were we honed in on and in that speech of course mlk um uh, argues that he he wishes for the day that his children are judged by their um, character and not the color of their skin, and I think that for the most part that's how I was raised and grew up, and now you'll you've seen a we've seen a kind of a shift or at least I have in the conversation that no it's not about color blindness it's about this it's the celebration of diversity, and you have to celebrate each and every identity that comes comes through and I see we see, I see that a lot in kind of mainstream culture, whether that's, um, the NBA is a very vocal, uh, proponent of this. Um, you see it a lot in the democratic party, um, and movies and, you know, movies are celebrated because they have, you know, they check the box of each different, diver- you know, minority or race in their, in their film instead of, you know, this movie is great because it has great actors. Um, is that something that you've experienced or seen?
2: Yeah, it is interesting. You say that I young people today in, 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 as you were talking about that, so I serve on the BYU Marriott National Advisory Committee. Oh, another and, thing on your, on your yeah, <laughs> And we were, we were, part of it, our job is to meet with the students there. And I was, I was in a meeting with one of the students, he was a person of color, and I brought up the issue of diversity. And he looked at me and he said, diversity, in our minds as young people, is diversity of thought. We don't even look at color. We we're raised colorblind and and I think I think white kids also, not all of them, but some of them, like you two, colorblind I mean really it's it's diversity of thought. He said, your generation though looks at color because that's how you you're wired and I you know that the light came on when he said that because it's did my generation because uh, I'm in my early fifties, my generation and older that really focus on race, and I think when you talk about the democratic party and and some from the left they use it as a weapon right mm-hmm. to create divisiveness and and that's really a shame because and, and, and the delight, the dialogue today if it's okay to disagree with somebody and but what happens is if you and, and white people do this more than black people call people racist if they disagree with something that they you you're talking about right. and so that that's the part that, that drives me crazy. That's what I see today that is, is and I, I think that's the worst form of racism. So we live in Chevy Chase, Maryland, and it's mostly, a, uh, it's, the neighborhood's pretty much all white. Hmm. I mean, it, it's a pretty, it's not diverse at all. And so what I've noticed, I had an incident last year with my 11-year-old daughter, and she's pretty popular, and she's a leader. We've taught our kids to be leaders. And but to be respectful and, and try to be inclusive. And one of the things that happened is one of the young little girls in her class complained against Marie because Marie is so popular and friendly that a lot of the girls would gravitate towards her and they kind of ran in a little pack. But there's one girl who was not included in that pack. I don't know if she was having some personal issues at home or what have you, but didn't feel included. So my daughter was blamed for why this young girl felt isolated. Mm. Like my daughter was the ringleader in trying to ostracize this girl. And, you know, my kids are not perfect, but we know for a fact that my daughter doesn't operate that way because that's not how we raised our kids. And I went and met with the principals, the principal of the school, and they were actually surprised. Here's this black man. Usually it's the mom that shows up, but here's this black man in advocating for his daughter. And basically what they were telling me is your daughter is leading too much, (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. meaning we, you know, we see. And it was to me, there was was a racial undertone. It was more Uh like you're supposed to fit in this little box that we've created for you. All right. And we don't like you to get out of that box. Uh And that's exactly what they were saying to me. And I got it. They didn't get it, but I highlighted it for them. And you could see a little bit of a light came on, but, and that—that's what George W. Bush talked about. That—that that soft bigotry of low expectations. They want us to fit in this little box, and I see the Democratic Party do this all the time to our people. Is basically, you're going to stay here, and we're—we're—we're going to look out for you and help you because you can't do it yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Clarence Thomas talks about that a lot. He calls it uh, when talking about like, uh, especially Supreme Court cases where. The federal government mandates um, uh, the desegregation of schools, or the same. Like they're looking for equality of outcome. That's what the that's exactly what they want. Equal results. That's right. And and he says, I'm totally paraphrasing this, but he he says something to the fact is why does the federal government think that they they need to have this paternal protection over a certain race or class when when they have the same skills and potential as anybody else. I agree with you. I mean, Abraham Lincoln said this, said the same thing in, uh, uh, the Stephen, uh, the Douglas debates, um, Lincoln Douglas debates where he's like, just leave, leave them alone, give them their rights and leave them alone. Um, and that, that's a, it's a conversation I think we have to have politically. And that's going to take generations to get rid of. We look at, uh, some of the, uh, the democratic nominees or, uh, potential uh, presidential candidates, and they, they're they using it all the time. Um, and I think you're right. They they uh, Obviously, for their strategic, I don't know what you want to call it, their, their strategy, uh, identity politics has worked very well for well, them. Well,
2: absolutely. And it's is designed to get the black folks out yeah. to vote. Lim, can I read you a quote? You yeah. just said something. So Frederick Douglass said this.
0: It was just his birthday the other day. Right, exactly. <laughs> this is my, a perfect time. Yeah,
2: my most favorite people in history... He needs a day that we celebrate as a holiday. He says, what shall we do with the Negro? I've had but one answer from the beginning. Do nothing with us. Your doing with us has already played mischief with us. Do nothing with us. If the apples will not remain on the tree of their own strength, if they are warm, eaten at the core, if they are early ripe and disposed to fall, let them fall. I'm not for tying or fastening them on the tree in any way, except by nature's plan. And if they will not stay there, let them fall. And if the Negro cannot stand on his own legs, let him fall also. All I ask is give him a chance to stand on his own legs. Let him alone. Hmm. Wow.
1: Spoken like a true statesman. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely.
0: I think that this, this kind of brings up another element of, um, of something that's been, that at least I've heard in these kind of conversations of these, these race relations questions. Um, Which is, you know, we just, you know, we just talked about, you know, um, uh, level playing field, you know, equal um, uh, opportunity, not equal outcomes. Uh, But then when those kind of positions get advocated, I've also, I've also heard the comeback about white privilege. Mm. Um, Can you speak to kind of what your experience, do because I'm told a lot that I have privilege. That's, that's what I'm told a lot. And I'm a hundred percent willing to recognize a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. and I want to be as, um, receptive and opening as I, uh, and, uh, and that I can be. Um, but then sometimes I don't understand quite where the conversation is leading can, because privilege, I think it's defined differently based on who you talk to. Have you, do you think that there is white privilege and what's the way, what is the proper way for somebody to recognize that privilege? And then, um, you, I guess, use that for good. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, that that's an interesting question. White privilege. I guess it's all in the eye of the beholder, but I, I can say from personal experience, sometimes walking through a department store, I will get uh, a white salesperson will come up, hey, can I help you? Or you can see them out of the corner of your eye watching you just a little closer as you're in the department store. And my sense is they probably don't do that to another white person. Mm-hmm. And so that, I don't know if that falls in the category of white privilege, but I've, I've heard that statement and I, it's something I kind of don't understand. I, I don't know. I, I think it's another tool of divisiveness. I guess you would say a, a person standing out for a cab, but one person of color Who's dressed, not so great, and then you've got a white person who's standing outside who has a suit on, dressed like Josh. The cab maybe will pass that person and go pick up Josh with the suit. I I, I don't know. I think that's something that's subconscious in people, right? But it's uh, it's it's something that might be some unconscious bias. Right? Yeah, some unconscious bias. I
1: think is is how I, I would categorize that. Yeah. And you know that I think uh, I love Clarence Thomas, and he talks about this as well, where you know, everybody, their experiences are going to be different in life um, because human nature does seem to be shallow at, at, yeah. the, at the surface, uh, unfortunately, and and we all have to get past this. And, you know, we, uh, I mean, there's, you know, statistics out there where uh, I thought this was interesting when um, it, uh, when it was brought up in our family home evening that the, for, the top Fortune 500 CEOs, the average height is six foot. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's like, whoa, what, you know, why is that? And 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 a lot of that's like, okay, well, obviously, you know, height throughout the ages has been seen as a leadership status, right? And in the Bible, you know, Saul, he's 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 tall, King Saul, right? He's it's he, he's specifically mentioned as being taller than the rest of the people, um, and we know, and of course, the Lord tells us later uh, that that's it's, it's it's superfluous, right? It's not, it's very um, you know men looks on on the outward appearance. the Lord looks on the heart. Um, we know that's we know that's who we need to be but yet there's still these unconscious biases that that affect every single one of us. Um, you know maybe it's the clothes we wear, maybe it's the way we talk maybe it's uh, you know the accents we have or or the way that we like to you know uh, comb our hair or you know a good example I'll, I'll let this one out. So I had a beard for a while, for the last like two months, and I realized very quickly um, people would treat me differently because uh, they thought I was older. Now that's something that all young men will probably run into. And then when I shave it, I have a very, I have, I'll admit it, I have kind of a baby face. People think I'm really young. And, and really at the surface, point, uh, surface of that experience, you're like, well, who cares, right? Um, but yet it still affects people. Uh, what's the differences in your experience between, you know, because I'm trying to understand how racism or how, how the minority experience is ex- is experienced today, right? Yeah. What is the difference between these unconscious biases and how subtle racism might be experienced in today's, today's day and age? Yeah, I can speak from personal experience. So
2: gone are the days where and I've had this happen to me as a, as a young person where I was actually called the N-word, and I can mm-hmm. count probably on one hand how many times that has happened. I can deal with that. That's more overt. Right. What, what I see today and what I've seen as I've grown to the age I am now is more of a covert racism. It goes back to that soft bigotry of low expectations, the, the, the view that some people might have of me of being inferior, and I, I, one thing that I can't stand, is this came up in the Family Home Evening, is when a white person describes me as articulate. Because mm-hmm. white people don't describe other white people as articulate too often. It's almost as if, you know, I, I'm supposed to speak English this way. and and But the perception is by some white people that, wow, Al's really articulate. Meaning they didn't expect me to be able to speak this way because of what they've seen on TV or what has been their experience in terms of, and and you guys even highlighted as well, your experience has been you've grown up in homes and communities where it's mostly white people Mm -hmm. that your parents hung out with, and that's all you ever saw. And your exposure to black people is what you saw on TV. And usually we're exposed on TV as it's, it's usually a movie like The Green Book or Hidden Figures or something from the 60s or before. Like Remember the Titans
1: or yeah, something. Exactly, right? Yeah, exactly, where it has
2: to do with race relations and black people don't talk so articulately in, in those movies, or it's the hip-hop culture yeah. is what you see, or we're doing comedy. But very rarely do you see white people in serious roles on TV, like a Denzel Washington and James Earl Joseph, few and far between. Right. And, you know, we're going back to when we talked about to me racism and discrimination will never be eradicated because of our we, we one of the greatest gifts god gives us is agency the ability to choose and discriminate and so we're all always going to have these issues because of our some subconscious, subconscious view of of others and our own you know shallowness that you referred to as well so i you know that's that's been my experience with racism today it's more it's more covert, it's more looking at me and my children as inferior, as opposed to someone who's who's equal. Yeah. Mm. yeah.
0: Um, you clearly, with your background, you clearly um, have a passion and, and interest in American history. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing that uh, gets talked about a lot is that America is inherently racist, um, uh, that it's, uh, it was founded with slavery, and that's still part of its identity, and um, basically history has American history has moved to eradicate that kind of original sin of slavery. Um, you've even gotten to, we've even gotten to the point where in some universities, you know, uh, certain parts of American history aren't taught or they are taught from a perspective uh, that the, the, the country and its founding is negative and something that we should be ashamed of. What are your kind of thoughts about that?
2: Yeah, that that's a great question. So my role at the Thomas Jefferson Center for Constitutional Studies i put together a 1 hour dvd on the founding fathers and slavery because i couldn't reconcile the fact that we have an inspired document that's the constitution but then what i was taught in school is that the founders were a bunch of uh, slaveholding uh, hypocrites degenerates perverts and the lord doesn't use degenerates perverts and hypocrites to bring forth inspired documents. So I did my own research and it came up with a DVD that kind of highlights where we are. And one of the things that I've found in my research is that slavery is a human problem. It's not a racial problem because throughout, if you know your history, you know that everybody at some point, white, black, brown, yellow have been slaves at some point. We still have it today. And we call that sexual ex- exploitation. We still have, slavery and so is is it something that i condone of course not i mean it's an evil there's no question about it but we have to look at it in the context of what history teaches us that's why it's so important for people of color today particularly african americans to know their history to know the stories of frederick Douglass, harriet tubman booker t washington who who, who were slaves and they overcame it And they overcame it through education and through the love of God. And so we shouldn't run from our history. It's, It's part of who we are as America. And I see those individuals that I just named, Harriet Tubman included, as my founding fathers because they played a role in building America. Yes, they were slaves, but they also fought to get rid of slavery. And so it's something that we should, I don't necessarily celebrate, but we should embrace it and, and make it part of our curriculum. Because you're right, they don't teach it in the schools today. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I have a different view of the founders. I mean, look at Frederick Douglass, for example. When he escaped to freedom, he spent the rest of his life trying to abolish slavery. And he got together with a group of abolitionists. William Lord Garrison's one of them. And they taught him, said, Frederick, the Constitution is a pro-slavery document. The founders were frauds. And it wasn't until Frederick left them, went to Rochester, New York, started his own newspaper, he actually opened up the Constitution and read it itself. And what he found was, and this was his journey down his road of intellectual independence, and that's what we all need to do as, as people, is find out this information for ourselves. So he read the Constitution, and he realized that this is the means for getting rid of slavery. Based on the Constitution... And natural law, which, which is based upon slavery, is unconstitutional. So then he started preaching that, and so did Dr. King. Dr. King used Frederick Douglass's words in, in his High Have a Dream" speech. There was promises in the Declaration of Independence and in the U.S. Constitution for all people, mm-hmm. everybody. If you notice, the, the word "slave" or "slavery" doesn't exist at all in the Constitution—not at all. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to your question, Burke. We we need to understand and learn our history and and you know one instance and i don't want to drone on too long but the three-fifths clause right yeah yeah we we use that to be divisive but that was a tool that the north used to keep the south from having more representation in the congress right because before the 16th amendment was passed where the federal government could go in your pocket and take your money states were responsible for paying the the budget for the federal government so if if Utah had ten percent of the House of Representatives, they were responsible for ten percent of the budget. So the the South would say, "Well, we want to count slaves as people, because that'll give us more representation." The North said, "Okay, well you can do that, but guess what? You're going to pay more taxes because you got more people." Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> so then that's where they came to the compromise of three fifths. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you'll see the other side use that to be de- to make it a divisive issue and. What they're doing is they're taking advantage of the ignorance of the people. That's why they need to go educate themselves.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I toured, my wife and I went to an event, and we toured um, the African American History Museum when it opened. Um, and I, it's a it's a beautiful building in terms of like how they've uh, set it up and everything like that. Um, but I had a real, I don't know, I had a kind of a, that kind of moment where, when you walk through um, downstairs, when you walk downstairs and you go, you walk into the section about the, found, the founding of America. So, um, uh, and when you walk through that hall, you're met with it's kind of an angry statue, I think, of Thomas Jefferson, and right. it's it's he has his um, "All Men Created Equal" right. from the Declaration, and then he's standing behind or standing in front of a, a brick wall, and on all the bricks are the names of his. Of the slaves that he owned and I think that the purpose is to say Jefferson was a hypocrite right this, this doesn't and I I I recognize that that um, that tension uh, but I think it I don't know who said it. it's somebody from Hillsdale Would always when when asked that question at, at events he would always say well he also pinned the line that has done more for human freedom than any than anything else in the history of the world so um, you have to kind of live with that tension you have to realize that these men were flawed that they had flaws, um, but that if you read the Federalist Papers and if you read the 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 notes surrounding these documents, they were clearly men who saw e- slavery as an evil and wanted to get rid of it. Right, I, I agree um, with you. Yeah, so. and they
1: they also weren't superheroes, right? I mean, we talked You just <laughs> said it. You know, freedom is something that that any group of people have been fighting for for centuries. Right, and and even the fact that the American founders. We're able to—I mean, really, by the grace of God—we're able to uh, grant or be able to get this freedom um, away from you know the European uh, monarchy uh, was a blessing in and of itself. And I think uh, when we think about history, I, American history, I hope that we always, especially in in light of slavery and that that problem that that persisted for um, you know the next hundred years, uh, I think I hope we always remember that. You know, in the Civil War, there were tens of thousands of men, women, and boys who died specifically to free the right. the free our brethren and and down in the South. And I hope we always remember that. Like there's, you know, in so I I have to do a little proud moment of Hillsdale. I'm so glad that you like Frederick Douglass because just a couple of years ago, Hillsdale, uh unveiled a statue to Frederick Douglass on our campus. Wow. Along with, and I think it's called the Statesman Walk. Right? Freedom Walk. Freedom Walk. We have George Washington on the campus, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. That Lincoln. is so and, cool. Uh, there's uh, Churchill, um, Reagan, Reagan and Thatcher, and then Frederick Douglass uh, was wow. one of the new ones. Maybe I need to come visit. That's yeah, why you need to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he, uh, one thing that I've always, and this is why I think Hillsdale does a little bit different. And it's important, um, and something that, I mean, especially you know, like like we talked about growing up in Utah, and it's no fault of anybody. It's just that I think it's these we don't think about it in the history books. We don't talk about you know these these uh, like Frederick Douglass. We don't talk about it very often, right? And then at Hillsdale, mainly because he was a Republican. Yeah, Ooh, that's yeah. Uh, that's interesting. We can talk about that in a second. <laughs> yeah, um, but then at Hillsdale, you know, you have these this uh, Freedom Walk and and around this. I guess you call it a little uh circle you have Lincoln very pensive, you know obviously thinking about some hard things in the middle is a statue of a civil a civil war soldier um that commemorates the the hillsdale uh yeah. students that left to go fight in um in, for the the union in the Civil War. And I believe if I remember right uh Hillsdale had more. Um, students per capita volunteer yeah, for more of
0: our more a higher percentage of our student body went to go fight in the Civil War than any other college Wow, I
1: need to send my kids there
0: yeah. and then right across from
1: Abraham Lincoln and and the Civil War statue is Frederick Douglass for very important reasons and I think you just articulated them very well because they <laughs> because it's it's important it's right. uh, it's something that we have to remember we have to remember that um, there's been a lot of sacrifice. That's right. Um, have you been to Frederick Douglass's house in Southeast? No, I haven't. It's you, my
0: last thing on my DC tour. You that have, I have to, to do. go see
2: it. You have to get a ticket ahead of time, but go through his house. It's amazing. I bet. Yeah. You uh, can feel his spirit when you go in there. That's, that's good.
0: Awesome. Um, uh, so I think that it would be really tough to leave this conversation. Uh, we're a culture podcast. So we should probably talk about stuff that's yeah, going on. Yeah, it's called
1: on. Generally Culture. So, so That's okay. our podcast. So right.
0: we should probably talk about something that's actually going on in the culture right now. Um, and I don't think you could talk about race relations in America right now without addressing mm. what's been going on with the Colin Kaepernick situation. I think that that has um, dominated the news in terms of... Um, uh, uh, Conversations about race and, and and racial reconciliation in America today. He just settled, um, I believe, with the NFL the uh, the other week or last week. Um, so he's gonna he's settled his case. Um, and settled I, for a lot of money. I settled for a lot of money, and I believe with um, last I heard was going to be he'll he'll sign with a team uh, before next season. So he does he does expect to play at mm. some point is my is my understanding. Um, he his protest was was an interesting kind of moment in American hit in American history. I think um, people who don't even watch football knew what was going on. Um, do you think that, but, but that being said, I don't know necessarily how much he accomplished in his protest. Um, we, I haven't really seen any tangible results. Um, I hope that uh, it did uh, bring some awareness of uh police brutality that was going on in certain in some areas of the country um but i don't know do you think that the colin kaepernick's uh protest maybe wasn't as successful as say somebody like an mlk because he didn't embrace kind of that that american heritage of that mlk did so mlk said this is um the promises of, of freedom are in the declaration we just want to be given what we were what we were uh, yeah, what does he say? Well, it's we're like promised. come to cash a check. Yeah, right? like I, I. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I want. We're just we, that's there. We just want to claim it, <laughs> right? Um. Whereas Colin Kaepernick said, "No, this is all evil and bad, and I reject it." Do you think a reason why maybe he wasn't as successful was because he did he didn't take MLK's approach?
2: Uh, absolutely. Dr. King inspired thousands of people, if not million, to be involved and and prompt them to action if Colin Kaepernick really wanted to do something that was meaningful, how about gathering your NFL brethren and going into these inner cities and grabbing a young person and mentoring them and, and being part of the solution and, and instead of being part of the problem? You know, we, we've got black people killing black people like crazy in Chicago, and it's a blip on the radar screen. No, Nobody is rolling up their sleeves, not nobody, but people of prominence aren't talking about that issue. I mean, that's that's where real problems exist. I have a son, as I indicated, who's in the NBA, and because of the NBA owners, they said, you're not going to kneel or protest during the, the anthem. This isn't... It's a privilege to play in the NFL and the, and the NBA, and, and I'm the owner, and I'm paying your salaries. You're going to stand during the anthem, and that's what the NBA said, and I agree with that. And so my son... And there's, there's a really cool picture that my wife found where there's a bunch of kids from a local elementary school standing in front of each player during the anthem, and every kid has their hand over their heart as the anthem is playing, and there's one NBA player that has his hand over his heart. and guess who it is? <laughs> it's my Franklin. <laughs> and, and we've talked about that, and he's asked me, you know, if people ask me why I do that. What do you think I should say, Dad? Well, first of all, he was raised to revere the flag, and it means more than just America. It's t- it symbolizes freedom. And, and where can you go in America and play a sport and get paid millions and millions of dollars? So, you know, Colin, don't give me this crap like you're oppressed because you're not. <laughs> you're, you're privileged. And so I told Frank, I said, not only did your dad serve in the military, but so did both your grandparents. They served in the military. And you're recognizing their sacrifice. And, of course, I'm going to honor their sacrifice by putting my hand over their heart. But long story short, Bert, Dr. King, 180 degrees away from what Colin tried to achieve. And, you know, Colin, in in his defense, did it in a way that he thought was was going to make a difference. And and I think it fell way short. Mm -hmm. It was more divisive than anything. And one of the reasons he didn't get picked up by a team is, he. let's face it, he's not that good of a quarterback. (laughs) He really is, and if he gets on a team, make sure that's great, good for him. But I, 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 can't, I can't stand with him, no. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: interesting. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about uh, was a very controversial comment that Morgan Freeman— it, everybody brings this up all the time when Black History Month comes around. Um, and I, if I just want to quote him, this was a 2005 60-minute interview— um, and he's asked about how to get rid of racism. And he answered saying, stop talking about it. I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop uh, calling you a white man, and I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man. What do you think about that? I agree with him wholeheartedly. Stop, stop talking about it. But the, the, the other side has
2: to have that issue to create divisiveness and drive people to the polls. They use it every four years. Right. That's what they do every four years. They go into the black community. They go to the black churches. We care about you. The other side's racist. They don't care. They want to go back to slavery, and they have to have this issue to be divisive. But I agree wholeheartedly with Morgan just said. Just stop talking about it. And you, young people, you all don't don't talk about it. I mean, you just you go about your business and you treat people the way they should be treated, and you're more concerned about diversity of thought than diversity of color. Mm-hmm. And and I'm and I'm grateful for that. You see more biracial, interracial couples now that you've ever seen before. And it's even on TV. I've noticed it yeah. in some of the commercials, a lot of the commercials, they're interracial couples. And I think that's great. That's great. And you go back to, you said what you said earlier, the Lord made us different colors. I think to hopefully encourage us to look on each other's hearts as opposed to our outward mm-hmm. appearance. Cause that's how he looks at us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why there's diversity in our
1: society because of that reason. That's, uh, that was beautiful uh, I I think that's exactly right I and I, I hope that uh, as we continue to, to think about this and and move forward um, they really I, I really want to believe and I, I believe there is a lot of people out there that just they just want to they just want to have this harmony right let's right. yes there was incredibly incredible suffering in the past and some really hard things that we had to move past um, or, or get over as a country and and some uh, amazing heroes like MLK, Frederick Douglass, um, Abraham Lincoln, and others that that helped our country move uh, in a way that, like I said, I don't think they did it alone. I think they, I think the Lord helped them uh, and has helped this country in a way, and I think He's continuing to help this country in a way that um, that we can we can truly be free mm-hmm. and 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 truly value each other for who we are uh, rather than you know what we look like or what well we wear. Well said. Hmm. We'll say.
0: I have one one last question, uh, because it's kind of been talked around, but I kind of want to get at it. Um, Has there been a moment, whether you know, I guess my question is, were you raised uh, conservative and um, uh, in that in that uh, line of thought, or did you have a moment where you kind of maybe became disillusioned with whether uh, like the Democratic Party or or something like that?
2: That that's interesting. I'm to starting to feel that.
0: like I I like that's happening. I just yeah. want to know the backstory. No,
2: I, I was I was raised. We didn't have a party. I mean, right. we weren't raised. We raised conservative. we were raised to get an education, work hard, and rely on the Savior. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I was raised from the very beginning. And that's how my wife and I have tried to tried to raise our kids because if you have those three things, you can pretty much overcome anything. If one door closes there's going to be another door that opens to you. When I started lobbying on Capitol Hill, I did that for 16 years. When I first started, I was a registered Democrat because I thought that's what we were supposed to be, is to be Democrats because we were, we were black. And my parents voted Democrat, and I'll touch on that a little bit later. But when I was up on the Hill and I would watch the philosophies of both parties, the Republicans seemed to say to me, you have God-given gifts, Al. We're going to get out of the way and allow you to ascend on your own and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. We're going to get out of the way. Less government. The Democrats, on the other hand, would, off, would, would say to me, that not literally, but Al, oh, you're a great guy, but you can't do it on your own. You need us to help you along the way. Just say, stay over there in the corner. We'll pat you on the head, and we'll come, we want you to come vote every four years for us to keep us in power but we're going to take care of you through these programs that really have actually enslaved my people. They've enslaved our people. They've taken the dad out of the home and have contributed to destroying the family. That's why we're a lot of in the situation we're in now as a race. Hmm. Those, those programs starting from, uh, the, the new deal that Roosevelt came up with to Johnson's poverty program. They've done more harm than they've done good but that's kind of been that was my aha moment. That mm-hmm. was back in 1994 when I started lobbying on the hill and I could see okay. the differences between the two parties. Unfortunately, the two parties are too close. They're they're actually there's not a whole lot of daylight between both parties now, <laughs> which right. is unfortunate.
0: Yeah, which is it's interesting cuz the number one thing that kind of gets the number one talking point at least on the news or anything like that is that these these parties are so polar opposite that there's so much division and when I look at stuff, I go, oh, they're pretty They're, they're pretty, pretty similar. They're pretty close. Um, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, this is. I think this has been one of our greatest podcasts. So no. Thank you so much <laughs> you for think say that to everybody. Absolutely. Are you kidding no, me? No, actually, you're the only one <laughs> I said that to.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. This is a great topic. I'm, I'm so grateful to be asked to do this because I love talking about these things. And it's just so incumbent upon us. And if I could leave – any, you know, the last message I'd like to leave with anyone: go educate yourself, get educated, pray about it, have the Lord involved in it, and just treat people the way that you want to be treated, and everything usually works out.
1: Yep. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Um, well, this has been generally cultured. Uh, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, uh, as always, you can follow uh, me on Twitter at rd hassler,
1: and then you can follow me at w josh underscore lee, and